The sun's a shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove, beer showers. It's just the very best time for an old Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver, so ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen lighted up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Tecovis, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're tuned into an all-new edition of Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett, Brian Scott Rippey coming up in just a second, and guest Shane Matthews. All-time great for Florida football. Who does Ole Miss open the 2020 season with? Florida. No better person to have on than Shane, my good buddy. Coming up on the Modern Women phone line. But first, let me tell you about mosquito marshals. Are bugs ruining your evenings outside? Do you want to reclaim your yard from those pesky bugs? Well, Mosquito Marshals is here to help, to let their customers and their families enjoy living outside again. At Mosquito Marshals, their top priority is to keep their customers bite-free by providing the best mosquito control services in the industry. The goal is simple, to protect their customers' homes and businesses from mosquitoes, fleas, ticks, and they stand by their results. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll respray your yard for free. But how do I know this? Because I have firsthand experience. Mosquito marshals rode out to my house and sprayed my yard. Took them no time, and I haven't seen a mosquito since. And trust me, I'm just like you. In quarantine, all me and my daughters can do is go outside, ride a bike, play some ping pong in the garage. Don't let a mosquito mess up your good time. No, schedule your appointment today. You can give them a call at 662-715-1818. That's 662-715-1818. Or visit Mosquito Marshals online at mosquitomarshals.com. Mosquito Marshals, serving Oxford, Batesville, Water Valley, New Albany, Pontotoc, wherever you are, they'll come to you. Mosquito Marshals. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up.
This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spit. Ben on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Ripley at BS Ripley. If you haven't already, subscribe to review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. I don't care what you say. Just leave a five-star review. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. Today's guest on Talk of Champions, Hall of Fame Florida Gator quarterback Shane Matthews. Coming up on the Modern Women phone line in just a little bit. But first, Rippy, what's up? Not much, dude. Just uh, enjoying the grind of uh, being a corporate sellout now. Got stuck in 35 minutes of traffic today, questioning why I do what I do every day. It's been great. Now I just need one of those haircuts like I have three kids and hate my life. It gets worse. That's That's what I keep hearing. Today, I lost a $100 bill and I can't find it for the life of me. Is that one of the things you think one of your kids ate it or something? I'm not trying to accuse anyone. I'm not trying to accuse anyone. But my four-year-old has been one that has taken things and used them as playthings and hidden them in places, and I never see them again. So all I know is a $100 bill. All I know is a $100 bill was placed in a spot that's the last place I saw it, and this morning it wasn't there, and I haven't been able to find it. But if it is the prime suspect, which is your four-year-old, at least it's not like a money grab type of thing, whereas for all she knows, it could be like a pea shooter or some wiping paper or something. Like, she's not out to just, like, I'm taking this Benjamin off dad and going to the candy store or anything, right? Right. My oldest is so honest. That she wouldn't ever take it. And if she did, she would cry as she admitted it to me. I don't and know. And she's if... old enough to know it's mo- like to know it's money and the value. Yeah. She thinks a hundred dollars is like a thousand dollars as far as the things she can buy with it. But that's just lack of perspective because you're young. But she understands that a hundred dollars that's no small chunk of change. Now, where I'm struggling is with my wife who claims she was the last person to touch the area in which this $100 bill went missing. Yet she claims complete and total non-responsibility. She has no clue. And she seems very earnest as far as trying to help me find it. going to be honest with you, I'm kind of peeved. Because, yeah, $100... In the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. But it is, man. It is. And yesterday, as we're recording on this Wednesday, yesterday was my birthday. So you could understand then, as you get older, birthdays don't mean much as they used to. People don't really celebrate you on your birthday anymore. And I've always been cool with that. I'm fine with it. But when you do get something like a $100 bill or a collection of things, maybe small little things, and they build up to some golf balls and a few nice little knickknacks here and there for your birthday. If any part of that is taken apart, well, dang it. So that's what I'm saying. On top well, of Now it, I feel like an asshole. Yeah. Happy birthday, by the way. But you're not on Facebook anymore, are you? No, I haven't been on Facebook in three years. But my point is, that $100 was the best gift I got for my birthday. And I didn't want to put that extra layer on top of this, but it's true. 
Yeah, see, now I feel bad for not wishing you a happy birthday, but it doesn't sound like you care that much. And two, I'm a huge, really the only function I use Facebook for is to post the stuff that we put out and then for birthdays. I mean, Facebook's at this point reminding me when my mom and brother's birthday is. If y'all are listening, I'm kidding, but not really. So uh, the fact that you're not on Facebook, it's just not going to be in my uh, happy birthday repertoire. I wasn't criticizing you. No, I know you weren't. I just felt like it. Maybe send you a nice present, some poop in the mail or whatever. I've got a suggestion. A $100 bill. Okay. <laughs> I'm putting it on your on the birthday list for Ben Garrett next year. August 2021, Benjamin coming right to the doorstep. But we press on here on Talk of Champions, even though I'm somewhat in a bad mood. I'll be honest. A little bit of a bad mood. And I don't trust the people I live with right now. Don't know what I think about them right now. I'm kidding, kind of. Shane Matthews coming up in just a little bit. Ole Miss continued practices on Wednesday. We as media people only get three media opportunities a week for practice, and that's Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We get no practice viewing. I think we're going to get one practice viewing. I don't know when that's going to be. But as far as talking to these people, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We broke down a lot of what happened on Monday on Tuesday's show. For Thursday's show, what did we learn? Brian Scott Rippey. From Wednesday, the third practice for Ole Miss Fall Camp, and the first in which they wore some pads, shoulder pads, in fact. Just feels more and more like normalcy the former the the more we wade into this thing, right? And I know just think about the content we are talking about on this show now versus, you know, just even a week and a half ago. I mean, two Saturdays ago, we pretty much assumed this whole thing was toast. That being said, as we've discussed ad nauseum, I don't know how long this is going to last, but it just, as the more and more they get into practice and they're not having major, major outbreaks, not only at Ole Miss, just across the country, um, it seems like, at least for the most part, it kind of feels more and more normal that at least they're going to give this a try. As far as what we learned, I don't really know yet. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of too, uh, the main story here is obviously the quarterback battle. And you mentioned only getting three a week, but I would like to point out it as much as we like to dump on college media and media relations. Don't you think they, if Kyle Campbell's listening, is Kyle mute this. Cause I don't want to hear me complimenting you, but you get Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley at the same time, no same day. Yes. But the question becomes, are you ever going to get them again? True, but good on them for doing it at least this early. Yeah, but now I need the guy that wins the battle close to <laughs> game time. Right. Because what right. I understand, from what I understand, we only got the assistance on Monday and we'll only get the assistance on that day. So talking to them on Monday, that's the last we're going to hear from them this year. The real test, though, as you were saying with quarterbacks, the real test is whether you're getting the loser of the job anytime close to after it's announced, right? That's the real media relations test, no? Probably, yeah. And I don't think it's going to happen. But first, but my, I digress. That wasn't really but I my get, point. But I would get that, though. Sure, of course. But I think you'll get the winner. I, I, I do think that'll probably happen. It's just I don't think you're getting the guy that's probably losing the job. But I digress. Be that as it may, Matt Corral did say some fairly interesting things about last year. Uh, I guess first and foremost, we'll hit it off the top. First, qu- I mean, first thing that really stood out among the headlines was he never considered transferring. I'm not calling the kid a liar. I'm just saying I'm not 100% if I buy that. I think he said Lane Kiffin was the cherry on top or whatever the quote was. I just think if they hire someone that's not Lane Kiffin that he doesn't see as a good hire on like face value, 
I'm trying to think of a good example, and I'm blanking because I don't remember the coaching pool last year. All I'm saying is I think Kiffin played a bigger role in it than maybe he's letting on because there's I, I just don't believe that he didn't think about transferring, I guess is what I'm th- saying. I'm not going to call the kid a liar. I believe what he says, and I do think his heart was wanting to stay and compete. And I think he kind of knew, like everyone else, the writing might have been on the wall for him as far as Matt Luke was concerned. I don't know. But here's something that we've got to cook into the cake. There was going to be a meeting with Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez, both of them, exit meeting, whatever you want to call it, once they got back from recruiting for the early signing period. And in that meeting, Matt Corral was basically going to say to them, okay, is John Rice your quarterback or am I going to get a fair shot? And had he not gotten the feeling that he would have gotten a fair shot, he would have left. Or... Maybe they bullshit him, and maybe they say, yeah, you're, st- you're going to get the same shot as John Rice Plumley. You're on even footing. Go to the spring in battle. There was no spring. Who's to say that this spring had Lane Kiffin gotten his 15 practices in and gotten John Rice Plumley and Matt Corral going one-on-one that he doesn't fall behind and then leave? There are a lot of things that factor into that. So do I take what he says at face value, well, yeah, because I'm not going to call the kid a liar. But there were many other factors that could have played into it that weren't allowed to play into it because first the head coach was fired and then you didn't get spring football practices. So there were going to be other opportunities for him to leave had he wanted to leave. But Grant Tisdale, I think, was a good example for him or at least a warning signal for him about what the portal can be. Now, I think Matt Corral would have had a lot of suitors. Look, if Felipe Franks can end up at Arkansas, I think Matt Corral can end up in any number of places. I think he's that good. Good point. But Grant Tisdale was met with an absolutely frozen transfer portal once he got in it. And he realized, okay, yeah, this is the best option that I have, coming back to Ole Miss. Granted, I'm probably not going to beat out John Rice or Matt Corral. But the options he had, yeah, they weren't going to cut it. So maybe here he actually does get a year, maybe two, that he starts. Maybe one of these guys that loses the battle leaves. I don't know. I do think it's noteworthy that he did say Lane Kiffin was the cherry on top. That tells me that, no, he never was planning to leave. But once that change happened... He was all in because now there's no having to take what the coaches are telling you at face value. Now, no matter what, just because there's a change and Lane Kiffin doesn't know these players, there's going to be a battle. There's going to be an even battle. So it made it easier. So where his heart might have been in the right, might have been in the right place and said, I'm not going to go anywhere. Well, now there's no reason to go anywhere. What he wanted, a fair shot, was going to be given to him no matter what. Yeah, you're 100% right, and you hit on a bunch of things there, and I guess I'll just start with one. I'm definitely not calling him a liar. Like, obviously, I mean, media relations 101, you don't always say exactly what you're thinking in front of the camera, and I'm not necessarily saying he's a liar. I just wonder, I just have a hard time believing the thought as badly as things turned out for him last year, largely for factors outside of his control. I just wonder, I just don't necessarily buy that it maybe didn't cross his mind, but who, like I said, who am I to question it? That's just me speculating. Well, here's the deal, too. If it was a normal normal year if COVID didn't hit if Lane Kiffin hadn't have been hired 
had Matt Luke continued on, had they won the Egg Bowl and continued on, you can't tell me in a normal year that Matt Corral wouldn't have had schools, and crazy how this works, contacting him to gauge his interest. And yes, that's tampering, but that's what would have happened. And then it becomes really tempting for him. Yeah, and sure. And then the other side of that, you brought up the interesting point about there was going to be a meeting, and they, if they say, yeah, he's our quarterback, he leaves, but am I going to get a fair shot? If that answer is yes, you mentioned they battle it out and he falls behind. Well, if you have a normal spring, there's a chance that Plumlee kind of has one foot on each side of whatever that road is in between Bot Hemingway and the baseball stadium, yeah. and he kind of gets ahead. That's a big possibility there that we've talked about before. And so maybe that's what he was thinking the whole time. And as far as the Tisdale thing, I'll give the people that a couple of them are still there, a couple no longer them still there. People that are within the program at Ole Miss, you know, a lot of a question we got on radio a lot last year was, why isn't Garrett Tisdale getting a shot? And obviously that question is 100% born out of the fact that the quarterback situation as is was such a disaster. So why not try the third guy that's standing there with his helmet on and the only pass he's thrown all year is a touchdown and a blowout to Alabama? But to those people's credit, everyone I asked when I asked where would he go if he transferred, why is he not getting a shot, is the kid would be a pretty good quarterback at a two-lane or a lot tech. They're talking about group of five and 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 programs like that, not a power five thing. They, none of the, No one I talked to said it, but to your point, as you bring up the fact that he was kind of hit with a frozen transfer portal market, it sounds like those dudes were dead on, which is fascinating the perception may be amongst the fan base and the naked eye as to what Tisdale was as small as the sample size was, was not at all what evaluators saw him as once he got into a college program. Fair? We'll get right back to Brian Scott Rippey in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford and Cheney's Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. We're all doing whatever we can to survive quarantine, right? It can be tough. We're making purchases to keep our sanity to keep us happy. Maybe you're going on Amazon, hitting add to cart, purchase. Maybe, just maybe, you're in the market for a new car. And if you are, I know the place you should go. The only place you should go. And that's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Alan Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. But what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is Alan Samuels aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Most everyone who's listened to this podcast should know by now, I only vouch for sponsors I truly believe in. If I myself have not had a personal experience with any sponsor, they're not going to be on this podcast. And my longest relationship is with Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Why? Because I can't say enough good things about Brian and Mason and the rest of the team. I don't like to haggle. I don't like to negotiate. I don't like the whole process of buying a car. With Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, you can avoid all of that. They're looking out for you. So give them a call today, 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, the only place to find your perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Self-isolation, quarantine, has brought about its own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, they've earned your trust. You can count on them. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization immunizations compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down. 
Give Chaney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at chaneyspharmacy.com. We've all got our own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Chaney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Put it this way, Grant Tisdale could easily develop into an SEC caliber starting quarterback and by the end of his career at Ole Miss, do some great things. But where he is right now is not that place. And I was told by a number of different people involved with the program last year, if he could help us win right now, he would be playing. It's not like they didn't think that there was some pressure to win last year. They felt the pressure. They knew they had to win. Now, they didn't think they were getting fired, but they knew they had to win. So if he could have helped them win and cleared this up, they would have played him. But here's the thing. When people say that the quarterback situation was a disaster last year, it had nothing to do with the with the players. The players were not the problem. It's yes. the utilization of the players. The coaching staff screwed this up. The coaching staff created the problem. When you have two quarterbacks, you don't have you don't have one. You just don't have one. And I know coaches say, oh, I don't believe in that. You can win with two quarterbacks. Find it. Find me the place that this happened. Chris Leak and Tim Tebow? Okay. That's an outlier. Show me the school that really... <laughs> LSU. It was the two LSU quarterback thing that year they were a two-loss national champion. To your point of that being the outlier. You but remember yeah, what I'm talking about? Jordan Jefferson. I don't know. Jordan Jefferson and... Was it Matt Mock? Maybe. I don't know. But the point Maybe is... Maybe it was Flynn. But yeah, go ahead. But the point is, those are outliers. And Ole Miss cannot survive a two-quarterback system. And Matt Corral said on Wednesday that if there was a two-quarterback system, he's cool with it because it's all about whatever it takes to win. You can't win that way. You just can't do it. And that's why at the end of this rainbow, there's going to be a starting quarterback for Ole Miss, and it's going to be one of John Rice Plumley or Matt Corral. Here's what I think I know. I think I know. I don't know I know. I think I know that both of these guys are dead even. So to call it one way or the other, even though the national media, and if you watch those SEC highlights on SEC Network where they were debuting the schedule and showing all this kind of stuff, John Rice Plumley was basically the entire Ole Miss highlight. So while John Rice Plumley to everyone else might be Ole Miss, when they think Ole Miss, they think John Rice Plumley. Right now, I think I know they're on even footing and they're getting equal reps. And this thing is a true battle. This is not a preordained thing. Now, John Rice Plumley, he's told people in and around Ole Miss that, hey, I'm QB1. Of course, he should say that. If he were saying, oh, this is a real quarterback battle, I would question the intangibles or his ability to uh, truly lead a team. You got to be cocky as hell when you're the quarterback. And both of these guys are cocky, and both of these guys are going to battle it out, and both of these guys, one of them is going to be the loser. And whoever ends up being the loser will be more of a storyline, considering what this season is, than who wins the job. And I know that sounds crazy, but as far as on the field or program ramifications, who wins the job and who loses the job, the loser and how it's handled, what is John Rice? What that means for not only football, but baseball. I don't think he's much of a baseball player. 
But there are just so many things that could come with who loses the battle. Yeah, you're exactly right. I'll throw two things out there, and then I want to throw a theory at you that you had me thinking about earlier when you were first talking about the quarterback thing. One, I'd like to remind you, even if he loses the job, this is a good time to remind people that Ole Miss hasn't made it through a season with the same quarterback taking every snap or starting and finishing every game since 2015. All pretty much a half decade, long time ago. So having two is important. But I agree with your point that the guy that doesn't win it is is definitely the storyline. Number two, I thought of this earlier this week, and it made me reading Corral's quotes and listening to that from from Wednesday really made me think about this. So like all last year, you were around it too. There really didn't seem to be very much animosity at all between those two. And I don't mean they have a bad relationship, but when you're two competitors competing for the same spot, there's going to be some natural competitive animosity of, I want to kick this guy's ass and I want to take the job, right? But all, some of that surface level stuff didn't even seem to be there. And I have this theory, and maybe I'm just blowing smoke, but do you think the fact that you talked about it having nothing to do with the players and it 100% being of the utilization, do you think they realized that the way they were being used, I'm thinking October Missouri game is probably when this started, where they just kind of aimlessly rotated them in and out. Do you think there was part of both of them that kind of looked at each other and was like, this is such a disaster. I don't even really, I'm not saying I don't care. Like, it doesn't look like any one of us is ever going to beat the other out through the end of this thing. So it was kind of a relaxed move because they just both knew the way they were being used was a disaster. Does that make any sense at all? It does. It does. And I do think there's some truth to that. But I also think that these two guys, and I'm not trying to be all homerish and rosy and colored-eyed and all that kind of stuff, but I do think these are two genuinely good dudes. I really do. Absolutely. And... Both of them, like everybody else, have their stuff, but they're good dudes. And John Rice is going to be just as gracious in defeat as he is when he wins. Same thing with Matt Corral. I thought Matt Corral handled that situation better than 99% of people. If it were me, I wouldn't have handled it well at all. Because it wasn't just about how they were utilized. It was what they were, or the coaches were saying about them. Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez talking about that Matt Corral's our quarterback or uh, you can't lose a job because of injury, all these kind of... John Rice was preordained when he was signed in his living room when he was being recruited. Rich Rodriguez said, you're my quarterback. When he got here, he started calling around. John Rice was one of his first calls and he said, I haven't found my quarterback yet. And Ole Miss, I think, had somebody committed. John Rice was that guy. So Matt Corral handling it that way, he deserves all the credit in the world. But if it happens again, I don't know. I don't know how and, you handle it. And uh, Yeah, agreed. And that kind of leads me to that other part of what one of the things he said today and one of the quotes that stuck out was, let's see, for me personally, it wasn't working. I wasn't successful last year. Why? That's what I asked myself. Why isn't this working? What did I do wrong? It came down to my work ethic blah, 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 sacrifices. The quarterback has to be the first one in and the last one to leave. He's not even saying that he's doing that, but ask the question about last year. 
He doesn't mention anything about the system or anything and puts it on himself and his work ethic and what he did, when in reality, anyone with two eyeballs, and yes, he was not perfect, and yes, the first half of that Cal game was bad. I'm not going to throw the Memphis game on him because the poor kid, every time he took a three-step drop, he had someone in his face hitting him. But for him to not mention anything as far as the scheme when asked that question, I thought kind of showed some maturity. He's 100% putting it on himself when I would say, what, 80% of it was outside of his control? Yeah. Yeah. Good on him. I would not have handled it as well as he handled it. I'll just put it Same. that way. But I'm also a jerk. Rich Rodriguez so. doofus. Yeah. Rich Rodriguez was such a bad regressive hire. <laughs> what else did we learn from practice on Wednesday? Well, we talked to Lakia Henry, and a big storyline is obviously the absence of Sam Williams. He's dealing with a sexual battery charge, which is a felony charge. So until his legal situation is dealt with, handled, if it's ever handled. He's not going to be a part of Ole Miss football. They're going to have to operate as if he's not going to join them anytime in the future, if at all, this season. So, who's replacing him? The first name that came out of everybody's mouth on Wednesday was Brandon Mack, redshirt freshman. Apparently, he's been a standout off-season performer, and he's drawing rave reviews. I don't know if that's good or bad, considering that He's going out there and making a lot of plays against this offensive line, and this is a redshirt freshman, and had he been able to help them win last year, he would have played. But Brandon Mack, he's showing out, apparently. Demond Clowney, the true freshman, the four-star that they signed and enrolled in December, I think, he's backing up Brandon Mack. Other names, Ladarius Cox apparently is doing a good job. Patrick big Lucas. kid. Yeah, he's a big kid. I'll tell you this now. That 2019 signing class, say what you want to about Matt Luke and staff, that 2019 signing class, that's a that's going to go down as one of the better classes that have been signed in the last 10 years. That's a really good class. A really good class. And Ole Miss cannot afford, I think right now they're ranked 71st in team recruiting rankings. And, and you know me, I'm not a big recruiting ranking guy. But 71st and 14th in the SEC, that's bad. That's bad. And I look at Arkansas... And I look at Mississippi State, both of which first-year staffs, they're not dealing with this. They're not recruiting like this. Or Missouri, same thing. First-year staff, they're not recruiting like this. They're landing their fair share. Ole Miss is getting some commitments, but they needed to really follow up the 2019 class that was so good with an equally successful class. And I don't think they're going to end up that way. Because 2020... We all know what happened on signing day. They landed nobody. They did get some transfers. I think that matters. They got the two guys from Canada, the kid from Navy, and Otis Reese. That doesn't factor into recruiting rankings, but you can't have what you had in 2020 as far as signing day and then come out and do what they're doing right now in 2021. they got to pick it up. I don't know how you do it because I don't know if kids are ever going to be able to come on campuses this fall so unless they do it themselves they do a drive-through campus i think chris partridge brought that up you drive through campus and look at it yourself but you don't get to really meet in person with the coaches or anything it's taking a leap of faith and not really going to any of these places to know if it fits you perfectly but that is the environment in which we're dealing with in college football but there you go a name brandon mack stepping in for sam williams look it's gonna be tough to replace sam williams he's their star edge rusher but hey opportunity presents itself for kids like a Brandon Mack to step up. So who knows? Maybe it works. Going to get right back to Brian Scott Rippey in this edition of Talk of Champions. But first, let me tell you briefly about Brennan Chapman of Homer Skelton Ford and Olive Branch. 
Talk of Champions is brought to you in part by Brennan Chapman of Homer Skelton Ford and Olive Branch. That's right, Brennan. He spent eight years on the football staff at Ole Miss as a recruiting analyst, as he detailed brilliantly in a recent interview on this podcast. But he's out now. He's out of the game, having joined the family business, where his goal is to be with you through every step of the car buying experience, from purchasing to financing to servicing, all the way to the purchase of the next vehicle and the one after that. When you arrive on the lot at Homer Skelton Ford and the Branch, you'll quickly realize that this is a family business, which I can personally vouch for because I recently went through this process with Brennan. And I can safely say, if you're in his area, there's no one better to contact to help you find that car you've been searching for through someone you can trust. So reach out to him today at BrennanChapman.com. That's B-R-E-N-N-O-N Chapman.com. Whether it's shopping new or used, Brennan can help you out. That's Brennan Chapman of Homer Skelton Ford in Olive Branch. I know that Ole Miss defensively was improved last year, but they were still like 81st, I think, in the country in FBS um, in yards allowed and 42nd against the run. That means against the pass, they were really bad. They were improved, but they were still below average. So you think about what all they lost, and now not having Sam Williams. I don't. Bill Belichick himself couldn't turn this into a much improved group. I think that matching, maybe improving a little bit as far as defending the pass, because you do have some veterans back there, but the pass rush plays into that too. But getting around the numbers of last year would be good enough because you would assume that the offense would be better. Yeah, I think what the, you brought up the Belichick thing, just the way Ole Miss improved defensively last year, it doesn't necessarily mean they were like better in terms of like, I don't know, like more. I guess they did have more dudes on the field that were better. To me, that was just the difference between competent and incompetent coaching. Yeah. It's pretty much the improvement you saw last year. Wesley McGriff to Mike McIntyre is pretty much the difference you saw on the field. I'm not sure that talent-wise they were exponentially better, probably slightly, but I think the way the difference manifested itself in terms of the defense last year was competent coaching versus just complete malpractice. Yeah, like Ryder Anderson was no longer guarding wide receivers under Mike McIntyre. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to worry about that anymore. And that's all that really mattered, competency – at defensive coordinator, because Wesley McGriff was absolutely incompetent as a defensive coordinator. Good dude, absolutely terrible as a defensive coordinator. Mike McIntyre just needed to be competent, and he was. So if you're Chris Partridge and you're DJ Durkin, if you can just match that, that's good enough. That's good enough. Because you assume then, knowing what we knew about Ole Miss's offense last year, hodgepodge, just gimmicky, miserable to watch. We have to assume it's going to be far more multiple and they're going to be able to score more points and also stay on the field longer. Those three and outs and stuff, that's not going to happen nearly as much. So just match the production of last year and your offense might be good enough to win you four games in an all-SEC schedule. I don't know if it's good enough to win you five. I don't know if it's good enough to win you six, but it should win you four. You should beat a team that you don't aren't necessarily expected to beat. You should do that with just... The same numbers defensively and a Lane Kiffin offense compared to Matt Luke and, God forbid, Rich Rodriguez. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that was ended up being the downfall of the last year's staff, right? Last year, because they probably just – I mean, if they would go 5-7 and seven and beat someone they're not supposed to beat where you can hang your hat on like an at-Missouri win 
or a Texas A&M or something like that, there's a, I mean, yes, the Egg Bowl was a clown show, but there's a halfway decent chance they saved their job, right? Their ultimate downfall, everything else aside, was the fact that they beat literally no one they weren't supposed to beat, despite having ample opportunities, including a game at Auburn, which talent on the field-wise should have no business winning, but it literally just came down to coaching incompetence. Like, that was the ultimate downfall of the previous staff, is beat anyone you're not supposed to beat. Literally anyone. The most disheartening thing, if you're an Ole Miss fan, about the teams under Matt Luke compared to Hugh Freeze. Look, I dog Hugh Freeze all the time. I've tried to chill about it because, like a lot of the things that I beat home over and over and over, it gets exhausting to some people, so I try not to do that anymore. But I dog Hugh Freeze, and I say that because with Hugh Freeze coaching Ole Miss football, even though I think he would have completely fallen apart in the year in which he was fired in July before he went going into the year. Matt Luke was the interim. Whatever year that was, can't remember now. But I still think he would have flatlined that year. But going into games, it didn't matter who they were playing, under Hugh Freeze, you felt like Ole Miss had a chance to win. That there at least was a real chance for an upset if they were an underdog or if they were favored, they were going to beat that team. Under Matt Luke, it went back to the Ed Orgeron feeling of hoping to win a game. You didn't go into a game feeling like Ole Miss was better than Texas A&M. Everyone under Hugh Freeze felt like Ole Miss was better than Texas A&M, or at the very least, equal. It felt like outside of Vanderbilt and Kentucky and just your typical SEC cellar dwellers that Ole Miss was always the underdog, just hoping, clinging to a prayer of beating these teams. And it should never be that way. And that was the most disheartening thing because you saw Ole Miss have success. And it also frustrated you because Ole Miss had real talent. Real talent. And I keep going back to it, but I'm sorry. Jordan Tiamu, Dawson Knox, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and you didn't win with that group. You didn't win, and you had a good offensive line too. And that was on you. And the fact that you had that feeling of not being able to win those games because coaching staff, whatever, it's impossible to generate any type of excitement. So under with Lane Kiffin, it's the same kind of deal as it was with Hugh Freeze. Even knowing that Ole Miss is going to have some depth and talent issues, you still have that underlying belief that Ole Miss can go compete. Now we have to see them on the field. And that's putting a lot of faith in Lane Kiffin. But at least you feel now, when they go and play Texas A&M, Auburn, that they're not going to face Goliath anymore. That they can go in there on equal footing and beat that team. Yes, maybe they're going to be six-and-a-half-point dogs to Auburn, but you believe they can beat that team. Because they got the talent and they got the coaching staff. Under that last coaching staff, you didn't feel that way at all. You felt like there was just a leap and a prayer, a leap and a prayer every single Saturday to go win a game. It's like they were going to win the game despite the staff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, didn't it all crystallize itself in that play, the fourth and 20-whatever at the in the Egg Bowl where Corral admitted on radio that I don't care what the coaches say, we're running this route, and it worked? Yeah. That's a really ballsy, awesome moment. Probably would have been one of my top five favorite Ole Miss football moments ever had Ole Miss gone on to win. Because at that point, I was so over Rich Rodriguez. Just, oh, I didn't want to see it anymore. Didn't want to see it anymore. But almost lost, and now you don't have to deal with it. But that brings it back full circle. Matt Corral, John Rice Plumley, 
on equal footing. I think the quarterback battle is what we're going to be rehashing over and over and over up until kickoff on September 26th, assuming that Ole Miss and Florida do kick off on time September 26th. That's going to be the story. That's what everybody's going to be talking about. And I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Because it's interesting. And I will say this. And it's so cliche. And God, you're going to roll your eyes. Not just Rippy, but the person listening to this right now. They do look bigger and faster and stronger. <laughs> I mean, they really do. Like John Rice Plumley, if you look at him, he looks markedly different. He looks much bigger. And you're always supposed to be bigger, faster, strikes the old cliche. I understand that. And I, but I they do have a new strength staff after the last one was – I mean, did you ever hear – I'm not trying to, like, neg anyone, but did you ever hear any just audacious compliments about the last one? Well, my whole thing is is I read the criticisms constantly, either on our message board, elsewhere, maybe Twitter, of how Ole Miss would slow down conditionally – by the end of games, just absolutely worn out. Or they didn't look the same, as strong as or as big or as ripped up, whatever the hell you want to say, as other teams. And you look at the photos. Just go look at them. John Rice Plumley, he looks way bigger. Matt Corral has slimmed down significantly, but he looks a very clean and lean type of Matt Corral. He doesn't look like he lost a lot of weight that he needed to keep carrying. They just look physically better. Now, I don't know if that's going to mean anything. I never put any stock into any of that. But I will say, as we do in fall camp coverage, they pass the look test at least right now. Now, depth-wise, they don't have any. Losing Sam Williams is going to kill you. But Brandon Mack looks the part. Ladarius Cox looks the part. Jerrion Ely looks like a superstar. Snoop Connor looks great. They do look bigger they do look more well-conditioned. And I think it's fair to say that Wilson Love is an improvement over Paul Jackson. I think Paul Jackson's messaging, because Paul Jackson could do no wrong those first few years under Hugh Freeze. But I do think that the messaging when dealing with the players in the locker room began to fall on deaf ears a little bit. And it became evident more and more under Matt Luke. Because I also think that under Matt Luke, every single coach was basically operating independently of the head coach. He was just one of the guys. And you can't be that way as the head coach. Like Lane Kiffin is the head coach of Ole Miss football. Matt Luke always felt like he was just one of the coaches of Ole Miss football. If that makes any sense. Yeah, he had a chance to put his stamp on the program in both 18 and 19 and never really did. Really all he had to do at first was fire Phil Longo and Wesley McGriff. And no one would have blamed him and he didn't do it because he was just trying to be a nice guy. Don't want to rehash that. But that is your practice report through three days. Not a lot there, but a little something, I guess. It's not nothing. And we've been dealing with a whole lot yeah. of nothing. <laughs> Pretty much the best way to describe that. How sad. Yeah. How sad. Much. Look, we've gotten absolutely no practice viewing. And we just spent 35 minutes talking all about Ole Miss football and the quarterback, about all this kind of stuff. No practice viewing. That just shows you how much we need new developments with Ole Miss football. No COVID talk at all today. That's two shows in a row. Don't call it a streak. Is three a streak or is two a streak? It's uh, three according to Major League. Because okay. if we don't mention it on the next show, it is that's called three, and that is called a winning streak. And it has happened before. I think right. I got that line right. All right, so there you go. Got one more to make it a streak. Now don't you go be a dick. 
and then intentionally throw it for us. But right now, we're on a streak. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Rippey. He's going to leave now. Bye, buddy. Take it easy. At BS Rippey on Twitter. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit, OleMissSpirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. Also available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. Going to go now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to Shane Matthews. All-time Florida great. Quarterback. 14-year NFL veteran. He's coming up right now. This is Talk of Champions. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC. An equal housing lender. The Modern Woodman phone line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Going now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to Shane Matthews, former Florida Gator quarterback, SEC Player of the Year in 1990-1991, Florida Football Hall of Famer, 14-year NFL career. Shane, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm good, man. How you holding up with quarantine and everything? Uh, I'm just I'm I'm living a normal life pretty much. Just don't go many places, but uh, as long as golf courses are open, I'm in good shape. Well, Ole Miss and Florida are supposed to open against each other September 26th, assuming that the schedule does kick off on time, the all-SEC 10-game schedule. Ole Miss and Florida, what do you think of the matchup? Well, I think it's one of the better games uh, week one. Uh, I think it's going to be exciting. You know, uh, Dan Mullen coming back to the state of Mississippi. Uh, be Lane's first, first game as the head coach. You know, I'm not sure which quarterback's going to play for Ole Miss. Maybe you know. Uh, but I, I think it's it's a very exciting game. I'm I'm somewhat disappointed. I wanted to go to that game. I still may go to it. I don't know if they're going to allow fans or what. I know some schools are saying 20, 25% capacity, but I don't think that's confirmed yet. Uh, I know a lot of Florida fans were looking forward to going to Oxford and getting the whole experience of the Grove and the tailgating, and obviously that won't be the same. Well, when you look at that game, if you're an Ole Miss fan and you don't know too much about Florida, you see the preseason hype, right? You see that Florida is being considered an East contender. For those Ole Miss fans that not, might not know much about them, what would be the Cliff Notes version of Florida entering 2020? 
Oh, gosh, Florida's a pretty good football team. Uh, a lot of high expectations. You know, in Dan's two years, we won 21 games, two major bowl wins. Got a lot of guys coming back. So uh, this team is expected to compete and play in Atlanta. And most people think they've, they've closed the gap on Georgia. Um, we shall see. I think Georgia's got some issues on offense with a new quarterback, new coordinator, and missing spring ball. So I, I think Florida's got an advantage there. But Florida's a very good football team with a lot of good athletes and um, be a good matchup. I mean, you know, Lane's a tremendous play caller, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, but I, I like this Florida team to, to make some noise this year. If you did have to have some concerns about Florida, what would those concerns be? Well, I, I usually shoot from the hip and, and tell you, I mean, there's been times when I said Florida wasn't very good at all. But, uh, you know, we just, uh, John Grenard, a defensive end with a bunch of sacks, had a high motor. Uh, he was a graduate transfer that we had from Louisville last year, had a tremendous year. We've lost some guys on the defensive line, but we got some young guys coming in that can really help. Um, you know, the, the biggest issue, I think, why people like Florida, and myself included, is our entire, our entire coaching staff, is in place and they've been in place for the last two years and we got our quarterback back and we got some other guys back as well, but with the pandemic and lack of spring ball um, and not being able to do a whole lot this summer, that's why I think Florida has an advantage over a lot of other teams. Van Jefferson, Freddie Swain, Tyree Cleveland, Joshua Hammond. That's a lot lost from the wide receivers. And then on Monday, Seniors Trevon Grimes and Kadarius Tony and redshirt sophomore Jacob Copeland all sat out of practice. Mullen said he doesn't expect opt-outs, but he wouldn't be surprised. The wide receivers, is that somewhat of a question mark right now? Uh, some people think it is. I don't. Uh, Florida's loaded at receiver, but a lot of young guys that redshirted last year have two highly touted uh, kids that came in with this class. Um, Xavier Henderson from down in Miami. That was It was between Clemson and Florida chose Florida's brother was C.J. Henderson, a, a tremendous defensive back we have. But, you know, here, here's the thing. You know, people always look at who has returning starters, this, that, and the other. Yeah. Just because you're a returning, just because you're a returning starter doesn't mean the younger guys can't beat you out and or aren't better players. And that happens at a lot of different schools. So do we want Trayvon Grimes back? Yes. I mean, he's a solid player. He's not an All-American. Uh, Kadarius Tony is a guy who had 10 catches last year, two touchdowns, uh, explosive player, but, you know, doesn't play a whole lot. But you know, a lot of people have seen some of those wild type plays that electrify the crowd. But he also has, you know, you throw a wide receiver screen to you. He's one of those guys that's going to lose eight or nine yards trying to juke everybody out. So uh, some people think it's a concern. I personally don't. Being a quarterback, you're obviously going to have a unique perspective when it comes to Kyle Trask. So when you look at him and you're providing a scouting report, and you've done this before, you've scouted and evaluated quarterbacks. So scout and evaluate your own quarterback. Tell me about Kyle Trask and what you think about him and kind of what you think his development could end up being. Well, he had a tremendous year. His story is outstanding. If people aren't aware of it, uh, was a backup in high school. Uh, backed up a guy named Derek King who played at Houston is now going to be the starting quarterback at Miami, comes to Florida, never really gets an opportunity. And then uh, Felipe Franks breaks his leg against Kentucky. Trask leads a huge comeback in the fourth quarter. Kind of the rest has been history. Good, smart kid, good team player, 
uh, big. I mean, he's 6'5", 240, 250. Uh, not great feet. Uh, I would say uh, above average arm, not an outstanding arm, but he's smart. He's accurate, knows where to go with the football. And like I said, if not for Joe Burrow's uh, year last year, which was the greatest year of any college quarterback of all time, Kyle Trask would have been the talk of the, of the country because, I mean, Joe had the, the best year of any college quarterback of all time. But uh, Trask, with his story, not playing in high school, uh, you know, never starting a game until the, the, the game after he came off the bench against Kentucky and had a tremendous, tremendous year. Uh, so I, that, that's why people are excited about Florida, because of our coaching staff in place, quarterbacks coming back, you got other pieces of the puzzle in place. Uh, they have a chance to have a big year. Trash came in at 11th in FBS and accurate pass rate beyond the line of scrimmage. And I think when you ask any quarterback, so I'm going to ask you, they would say that dependable accuracy, probably the top trait that you want in a quarterback, right? And he obviously excels in that area. Yeah, you know, there's there's three things that when I train quarterbacks and working with my when I used to work with my son and the things I look for in quarterbacks there's three the three A's uh, accuracy anticipation and awareness if you have those three I don't care how strong your arm is arm strength is so overrated it's all about accuracy if you got if you can throw the ball in tight windows if you can anticipate where to throw the football and lead your receiver and you have awareness in the pocket and knowing what your your offensive system is supposed to be doing, you've got a chance to be dang good. And he, he has all of those. And like I said, I would say the biggest knock against him is he's not that fleet of foot, which you don't need to be at times. He'll, he'll run the ball because uh, Mullen calls a lot of the quarterback power with him as well. Uh, but sometimes his feet get lazy in the pocket and he throws, you know, people, you hear people talk about throwing off your back foot. He just, he might not be in balance at times, but he's got anticipation. He's very accurate, as you mentioned. Okay, if you had to pick one Florida Gator that the nation doesn't know about right now, that they'll know about by the end of the year, who would that be? Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm going to go with one of our true freshman wide receivers. I'm going with Xavier Henderson. The bloodlines, I mean, his his brother was C.J. Henderson, who was an All-American defensive back, first-round pick by the Jaguars this year. And uh, he's just a guy from South Florida, long, lean, and can run. And, you know, I haven't seen him because we can't go to practice unless you're, you know, because of COVID. Uh, but I've just heard a lot of good things about him. And that he's kind of going to be my dark horse uh, to have a breakout year. Defensively, what's the breakdown of Florida? Well, I, I would say uh, we're pretty good on defense. We're going to be fast. We're going to be very, very athletic. And we can, like I said, we can run. And most people know Todd Grantham is a very aggressive style defensive coordinator. Um, he's going to come after the quarterback. And it, that's great when you get to the quarterback. But, of course, you, get, you have chances where you give up big plays. And that happens. Though, and that's just your rolling the dice. But defensively, they will be very solid, should be very strong in the secondary. What did you think about Felipe Franks ending up in Arkansas? Well, you know, Felipe did some good things at Florida. He, he had a, a tremendous amount of a pressure on him. And I respect the way he handled himself. Um, you know, I think it's a good fit for him. However, Arkansas has the hardest football schedule in the history of college football. They may not win a yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so I feel horrible for him that way. And, and of course, he's got to come back to the, 
to the swamp and play the Gators. So that that will be very awkward as well. But I wish the kid nothing but but, but success. Um, you know, he's a big. He's got a. He's a guy that may not have great, a great college career, but you'll see him go to the combine and tear it up, and maybe a high draft pick, and who knows what he might do at the next level. What do you think his return to the swamp will be like? What kind of reception do you think he'll get? I think it'll be mixed. Uh, you know, he, he went through a lot. A lot of people booed him for whatever reason, which I don't think any kids that play college football should ever be booed. Save your boos for those guys that get paid on Sundays. Um, but I, I think there will be a handful of Gator fans that will, you know, kind of secretly root for him, hope he plays well. Um, but, you know, who knows if there's going to be any fans in the stands to to do that. What were your biggest takeaways from the 2020 schedule release for the SEC? That Missouri and Arkansas got screwed. Yeah. Um, and then most of the big boys, you know, if you want to call the big boys, the Alabama, LSU, Florida, and Georgia, uh, got a pretty good draw, I would say. You know, we have to, Florida has to play Texas A&M, which, you know, some people think they're a top five team and definitely a top ten team. Um, and then uh, our other opponent, just I can't even remember who it is right now. Oh, it's um, who is our other opponent? We got Arkansas and gosh, I can't even think of it right now. But but my point is, you know, Missouri and Arkansas just it's it's just their schedules are brutal. I don't know how they're going to win any games. Yeah, I don't either. Arkansas is just like you said, it's terrible the slate that they have to go through. But I think that it's interesting that the SEC, I don't want to say protected the big boys, but it certainly felt like they got the um, good end of this draw here. Oh, there's no question. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, Georgia, Florida, as I mentioned, and Alabama and LSU, I don't want to say the league office protected the the big boys, but I mean – like Coach Furrier, we do a podcast together. He, he said that they should at least put Missouri and Arkansas or Arkansas and Vanderbilt playing each other so at least one team's going to guarantee themselves they get a victory. What are the old ball coach's thoughts of Florida going into this year? Uh, I think he's excited about the team. Um, he knows we've got a lot of guys coming back. He likes Kyle Trask. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for this year is going to be which teams handle all this chaos and, you know, just disarray that they've gone through for the last five months. You know, whoever handles it the best is probably going to win the most games. For you, when you look at Florida, as they go through fall camp, not even taking into account the COVID stuff, let's just look at the football-only stuff. Are there any questions that have to be answered over the course of the next month plus? I think so. You know, the SEC, everybody talks about it's a line of scrimmage league. I think, you know, Florida has, has protected extremely well the last two years, but from a run blocking standpoint, we struggle. It's usually the other way around. You know, linemen love run blocking and it's much easier, but I would think that's, that's the biggest issue for us right now as a football team is, is Florida going to be a successful running team? Cause that's kind of what Dan Mullen wants to do. Uh, but he's a good football coach. And, you know, last year we threw it a lot more than we anticipated because that's what Kyle Trask did well. Okay, from the other end of it, being a former Florida quarterback and all-time great, when you look at the Ole Miss quarterback situation from afar, what is your take? Well, like I said, I just watching them on TV, both those kids are very athletic. Um, 
just to, like I said, I haven't been in any practices, just watching the games on TV. I feel like Matt Corral is the better thrower, and obviously there's no question that Plumlee is the better runner. Now, people say Plumlee's a pretty good thrower. He's got to be if he plays baseball as well. Um, what can Lane Kiffin do to help him be a more accurate passer? And I think with Lane's how he schemes people up, he can give him some higher percentage throws. So I'm sure that duel will be very intriguing during their camp. Uh, but I would probably think with the athleticism that Kiffin's going to lean towards Plumley. If I made you have to predict Ole Miss to win over under three and a half games, where are you going? Well, uh, who do they have? Well, I guess they have Florida. And who else do they have from the East, I guess, is my question, because I don't have the schedule in front of me. Florida first, at Kentucky, then back home for Alabama, and then you got Arkansas and Auburn to start. That's a pretty tough start, except for Arkansas. Yeah, uh, gosh, three and a half, huh? It's a tough line. It really is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean over. I think they get four wins somehow. Uh, I think they'll, they'll beat a, beat a team in the West they're not supposed to beat this year. What is the postseason gonna look like in college football? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think this is the year to expand the playoffs and mess around with it and experiment. Even though we're missing two of the Power Five conferences, it doesn't matter. Who cares? You know, let's say Georgia goes, in, but Florida's sitting at home at 9-1. and one. Anyway, you've got two, spot, two extra spots to put some at-large teams in there. Maybe they come from the ACC. Who knows? <clears throat> but then you leave one spot for that group of five that is still going to play, try to play football, whether it's UCF or someone like that. Just put them in there, and we have, what? what is that? That'd be uh, 16th playoff. I don't think, and this is completely my own opinion. I could be wrong. But if you do expand the playoff, I don't think that there's any way college football could go back to just four teams. No, I want it to be expanded, but I agree. Once you do it, it's going to be hard to go back, and I think that's going to be the same with this 10-game SEC schedule. I mean, fans are going to love it, and back to playing eight SEC games next year. You know, I, I hate it for these smaller schools, the Troys, the Southern Misses, the, you know, the UABs of the world, that South Alabama is supposed to come to the swamp. Those kids on those teams are missing out on a great opportunity in their lifetime to play major college football in a great environment, plus get paid for their, you know, their universities, for their programs to survive. I just don't know how you're going to be able to go back and play those type of games after we play 10 conference games this year. When you look at Florida Ole Miss week one, what do you expect as far as the game is concerned, how it'll play out? I think Florida win. Uh, I think, it, you know, it, it's weird. It's like, what's the crowd noise going to be like? You know, it, does Ole Miss really have a home field advantage other than, you know, not having to get on an airplane? I think that's one concern, one, one issue. The other is the reason I like Florida winning the game, and I think it'll be a, probably a sloppy game to start, uh, but Florida will pull away is because of the quarterback and our coaching staff. And you got to remember, Lane Kiffin's got an entire new staff He's trying to figure out who his players are, what can do well, and they just haven't had much time. I think he's a tremendous football coach that can call ball plays, no question about it. But when you are learning a new system, it's easy, you know you can sit in all the Zoom meetings you want, but you got to get that play in your head and go out and execute it. And they just haven't had enough time to do that, in my opinion. Tell the people how they can check you out, how they can listen to your podcast and all that stuff. 
Yeah, I have a Monday through Friday podcast called Pot Up with Matthews in the Morning. And it's uh, on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. He's the man. He's Shane Matthews. All-time Florida great. 14-year NFL vet. Good friend of the program. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. We'll do it again. Anytime, Ben. Take care, man. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.